Today, we take more time to explore the meaning of the word righteousness. In our churches, we love to use big words. We obfuscate our pedagogy through superfluous grandiloquence, manifesting hubris instead of demureness. See what I mean? Inconceivable. While I might have a speech impediment, I certainly do not want to have a preach impediment. These get in the way of God's message reaching our hearts and minds. Let's dig through those big words and learn something incredible. Hey everyone, it is great to be with you again on Preach Impediments, and this week we are spending some time with the word righteousness. If you didn't catch the episode, we just recorded an episode with Jonathan Caldwell, and we had a great discussion about the word righteousness. You need to go back and check that out if you haven't yet. But I did want to spend a few more minutes maybe reviewing a little bit of what Jonathan and I talked about, but also exploring some new ideas and maybe digging even a little deeper than we were able to do last time. We spent some time, Jonathan and I, talking about how righteousness really deals predominantly with the concept of behavior. A couple of passages that support that would be 1 John chapter 3, verse 7, which says, Little children, let no one deceive you. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. Notice the one who is doing what is right, the action, the practice, the work of doing right things is called righteousness. And so that practice, that behavior is what we're dealing with. Over in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22, Paul tells Timothy to flee from youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Again, we have that idea of pursuing righteousness, that being a decision that we make to go after this standard, to go after a certain set of behaviors. And so that, that's an important part of what we're trying to do as Christians. We are pursuing righteousness just as he, Jesus, our Lord, our forerunner, the one who is our example, he is righteous. But we also need to make sure that we understand not just that we should be righteous, but maybe some parameters around how we go about doing that. A favorite passage I might turn to about that would be Psalm 106. The first three verses say, Hallelujah! Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. Who can declare the Lord's mighty acts or proclaim all the praise due to him? How happy are those who uphold justice and practice righteousness, get this, at all times. Wow, practice righteousness at all times. That is a high standard. You're never off the clock when it comes to the behavior we should have as Christians. You never get to take a break. You never get to lower your vigilance. You never get to back away from the standard that God has given us, that we pursue right things. You don't get to be a Sunday-only Christian where you go among God's people and you dress up nicely and you're able to put on this great church face, this this 
fake persona of who you want everybody else to think you are, that you're this high and holy righteous person. And then starting Monday, you get to turn all that off and live however you want to. That's not how this works. When we are righteous people, we are righteous all the time. This means in every circumstance, we must be righteous. We don't get to say that if somebody mistreats us or talks bad about us, then we can, we can give tit for tat. We can get them back. We can act in an unrighteous way because they deserve it. Nope. How happy are those who uphold justice, who practice righteousness at all times, we're told. You can't just turn it off like a switch and then turn it on when it's convenient. There's also a passage over in 1 John chapter 3, the next three verses from what we read earlier. Verse 8 through 10 says, The one who commits sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God was revealed for this purpose, to destroy the devil's works. Everyone who has been born of God does not sin because his seed remains in him. He is not able to sin because he has been born of God. This is how God's children and the devil's children become obvious. Whoever does not do what is right is not of God. There's that sense of righteousness based on behavior. And then it goes on to say, especially the one who does not love his brother or sister. We don't just have to be righteous on our own terms or when we're by ourselves, but we have to treat others rightly if we're going to be righteous. You don't get to just love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You also have to love your neighbor as yourself. And Jonathan did a good job telling us that based off of Job and Micah back in the previous episode. But I want us to think about that for a moment. Our righteousness is not something we do alone, something we do in a closet, something we do when we're at home, at peace, when things are working out well. It's something we do even when we're out among the world. We have to treat our brothers and sisters in Christ with love, with preference, with honor. We have to love them with tenderness and with compassion. We have to seek for their good and not our own. We have to put others above ourselves if we're going to be righteous people. The same would also be true of the world, that we have to do what is best for them. We have to seek their good instead of just our own. Let me give you an example of one way we fail that so often. How many friends do you have in the world who don't know Jesus? Well, the number one most important thing you could do is tell them about Jesus. Tell them that there's a Savior who loves them and wants to save them, who wants to make them righteous through the blood he shed on the cross. That's the most important thing you could do for them. That is the way you could love them more than any other way. But so often we don't share that message with them because it's uncomfortable for us. Or we don't share that message with them because it's just not what we do. It's not our forte. You, we don't share the message with them because it's not important or as important to us as their relationship is. And we don't want to risk that relationship. Well, shame on us. That is not pursuing righteousness 
with the world around us. That's not pursuing righteousness with our neighbor because what we're doing is putting ourselves before them. It could be that in those scenarios, you end up getting yourself in trouble. Maybe you put a relationship at risk. You could even possibly, depending on the circumstances, put a job at risk, put circumstances of life at risk, but that's to be expected. Listen to what Peter says over in 1 Peter chapter 3, 14 through 17. Who then will harm you if you are devoted to what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness, you are blessed. Do not fear them or be intimidated, but in your hearts regard Christ the Lord as holy, ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do this with gentleness and reverence, keeping a clear conscience so that when you are accused, those who disparage your good conduct in Christ will be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Notice how many times in that one passage we deal with the concept of righteousness. The idea of suffering for righteousness brings a blessing from God. The idea that we get disparaged for our good conduct, or that could be reworded as righteousness, or that it would be good to suffer for doing good or for doing righteousness. If we could do those things, even if it causes us to suffer, that is the right thing to do. We never have a reason to choose not to pursue righteousness. We never have a reason to not pursue what is good. Instead, we need to realize there's no harm that can come to us for doing good because we have a God who is beside us, who is working with us, who is protecting us when we do good. So we should always choose to do what is righteous, even if we could suffer harm for it. Now, this will be a little bit of a changing of gears, but I want us to talk about another aspect of righteousness that we did not get a chance to really dig into deeply the other day. It is this idea of righteousness as we see ourselves or as we see others, that we see ourselves as righteous people. There's a danger in doing that. If you look back in Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, Jesus talks to the listeners of his sermon and tells them, For I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. Now, that's odd to us, the thinkers and the readers of the Bible of our modern day, because we look down on the Pharisees. There are so many stories in which they are depicted as the enemies. They are shown to be the adversaries of Jesus. And so we think of them in a bad light. But back in these days, in the early church, they were seen as being the epitome of righteousness. They were the ones who kept the law better than anybody else. But Jesus saw through their behavior and saw a problem with their hearts. Matthew chapter 23, verse 23 says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You pay a tenth of mint, dill, and cumin, and yet you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. These things should have been done without neglecting the others. And so there we've got this, this idea of they were doing the right thing. You know, they should have been 
tithing of their mint, dill, and cumin, but they were doing them without a real desire to pursue what was good and righteous because they were neglecting the more important matters like justice, mercy, and faithfulness. We need to be the kind of people who who are devoted to righteousness, not just devoted to right behavior. In case that's not clear, the very next verse, chapter 23, verse 24, says, Blind guides, you strain out a gnat, but gulp down a camel. See, what's interesting about that is they weren't really supposed to eat gnats or camel. Both of those foods were considered unclean for the Jews based on their law. But they would go through the trouble of making sure that in their glass of wine, there was no gnats that had landed on the glass or on the surface of their drink. And then they they would accidentally drink one of those gnats down. Uh, They would take a cloth and they would drape it over their cup so that no bugs could get into their drink. Or they would even sometime leave the cloth on their drink and let the, the cloth on top of their cup strain the the juice that they were drinking so they could make sure they weren't drinking anything unclean. But he's saying that you'll go through that much effort to get out of that that tiny little bug, keep it out of your mouth, but you've got a steak of camel meat, unclean meat on your, on your plate that you're eating. Uh, that's ridiculous. Nobody would do that. But we do sometimes. Uh, if we are more focused on right behavior, but we're not focused on why we act that way, we are no less hypocrites and no less foolish for acting right for the wrong reason. There's another aspect of righteousness that we have over in the book of Romans that I think is particularly interesting. We're told in Romans chapter 3 verse 1 that no one is righteous, not one. They're quoting the Old Testament. But then we're told in the very next chapter, Romans chapter 4, verse 3, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. We're told that his faith was credited to him as righteousness over in chapter 4, verse 9. What it seems to be telling us is that righteousness, our moral standing before God is declared or decided by God himself. Chapter 5, verse 1 of Romans says, Therefore, since we have been declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So we get declared righteous by God. That's important. It's important for us to see that. That our righteousness is not about what we deem ourselves. It's not about how we judge ourselves. It's about how God judges us. God decides whether we are righteous or not. So what we should do, even those who have been declared righteous by faith, the very next verses of chapter 5 say, Also through him we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also rejoice in our affliction, because we know that affliction produces endurance, endurance produces proven character, and proven character produces hope. This hope does not disappoint because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who is given to us. Here, what we're told is even when we are declared righteous by God, that should produce for us 
affliction, to endurance, to proven character, to hope. Our behavior will follow that desire for righteousness. And so what we need to do is get our hearts right with God, get our hearts acting in faith, get our hearts connected to him, and then that will cause us to act correctly. One last passage for you to consider today, and it's back in Ezekiel chapter 18, and it does a great job of helping us to see the details of what righteousness looks like. This is chapter 18, verse 5 through 9. Suppose a man is righteous and does what is just and right. He does not eat at the mountain shrines or look at the idols of the house of Israel. He does not defile his neighbor's wife or approach a woman during her menstrual impurity. He doesn't oppress anyone but returns his collateral to the debtor. He does not commit robbery but gives his bread to the hungry and covers the naked with clothing. He doesn't lend at interest or for profit but keeps his hand from injustice and carries out true justice between men. He follows my statutes and keeps my ordinances, acting faithfully. Such a person is righteous. He will certainly live. This is the declaration of the Lord God. In a world filled with unrighteousness, and even among God's people, it is being smiled upon more than it ever has before. In a world that is going to tempt us and that is going to tease us with things that are wrong and immoral, we have to be those who are willing to make the hard decision to do what is right. I've got five children, three boys and two girls. And one of my greatest fears is that I will have unfortunately parented them to fake their behavior to do what is right, not because it's what they want to do, but because it's how they're being controlled. My fear is that they will do all the right things like those Pharisees until nobody's watching, and then they'll be eating steaks of camel meat, even though they know it's wrong. I fear that this world is going to be so strong, so overpowering, so influential, that they're going to choose what is wrong instead of what is righteous. And they're going to miss out on this great blessing that comes from belonging to the Lord, from doing what is just and right, from doing what is going to please him. And I tell you, my fear is for myself, and it's for you too. We need to be the kind of people who are willing to pursue what is right, to do the hard thing, even though it's hard, and do it because it is what pleases God. And if we can be the kind of people who will pursue righteousness, no matter the circumstances, we pursue it at all times, we pursue it with all we are around, we pursue it even at the risk of suffering for it, then we will do good and we will be pleasing to God. Thanks again for listening to Preach Impediments. We hope these thoughts have been helpful to you as we've tried to dig deeper into the concept of righteousness. It is a word that is used in so many different ways in Scripture, but in every way it's used, we find it is a way in which we can please our Lord and our God. And I hope you will pursue righteousness with passion, with love, and with all you have so that you can be exactly who God has called you to be. Let me remind you 
that if you enjoyed the episode, we'd love to have you leave some comments, let us know what we can do better, or let us know what topics you would like to hear discussed. We greatly desire for you to share this podcast with those that you think could benefit from hearing great definitions and discussions regarding words that we use as we discuss the Bible. And if you are enjoying this podcast, we ask that you will subscribe to it. If you need more information about Preach Impediments, you can find out more at preachimpediments.com.